Thank you for listening to the Streams Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We are a community that strives to know Jesus and make Him known. If you like our podcast, subscribe and leave us a great rating on Apple Podcasts. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy. Isaac last week um, was talking in Galatians 5. We're in a series walking through Galatians, going chapter by chapter. And um, he got to chapter 5, and we are going to finish that today. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, you're welcome to join in and follow along. It'll also be here on the screen. But uh, the whole idea and the premise of Galatians is the fact that it is in Christ alone that we find grace and forgiveness. It's not of works that we find favor in God's sight or that we're accepted into God's family by what we do or any religious obligation that we fulfill. It is truly through the grace of Jesus Christ. So today we are going to be in chapter 5, starting in verses 16 through 26. And um, to kind of preface this, Paul is the author of this chapter, and today he's going to talk a lot about the difference between your flesh and the spirit, and how these are in opposition. So when he's talking about the flesh, he's he's not talking about muscle or skin or like, you know, a body part. He's talking about the sinful nature that dwells within us, and how this is in opposition to where God's spirit now as followers of Christ lives within us. And so just to give you kind of an unpacking of maybe a a clearer picture of what the flesh is, um, have any parents uh, gone through the toddler stage of raising children? Yes, they're out there. Okay, so in the toddler stage, you see it very vivid. Um, and, and you can see that the, the flesh and the power and the desire of I want what I want is very strong. So much so that we actually see there's a self-destructive course that the flesh points us to. So, uh, for example, if I were to take a toddler into Fry's, it's lunchtime, and I says, you know what, you can go wherever you want to in the store. I'm going to buy you anything and everything you want. And then afterwards, we're going to eat it, and there's no limits. You can have as much as you want. That child is not going to go to the vegetable aisle and stock up on kale. He's going to go to the candy aisle and get Kit Kats, right? He's not going to go for broccoli. He's going to go for some type of weird Sour Patch candy or something, right? And so you load up all this candy and imagine saying, okay, eat whatever you want. He's not going to carefully examine the calorie count and the serving size of the package. He's going to cram himself with all sorts of food, so much so that'll probably eat himself sick. So that is kind of the picture of the flesh unleashed and what it does. And we see that even in adults. Adults say, I know this is wrong. I know this drug or this addiction is bad for my life, but I want to do it so bad. And so there's this tug of war that happens. And so as we look at this, we're going to see what Paul is talking about this. But the other side to this component is really God's spirit within us. This is such a revolutionary, mind-blowing idea. And the reason it's hard to grapple with is it's literally, the Bible says it's God's Spirit that lives within us. In Romans 8, it says that the Spirit of God who raised Christ from the dead literally lives within us. The Bible talks about that we are God's temple and that we are a spirit. And I think the hard thing about that is most of us woke up today and didn't feel like this Captain America or Wonder Woman supernatural power spirit inside of us. 
You're probably like me. The dogs were barking. You woke up a little groggy. You went to make your coffee. Like, it, you know, you felt the aches and pains. You might have had a little headache. Or, and you're just like, it doesn't seem like God's Spirit's within me. Like, if God's Spirit was in me, I should feel better or I should feel different. But the fact is, is that our flesh and how the Spirit of God works doesn't have any correlation. God's Spirit is within us. And that's what is so amazing, that we are invited to carry God's Spirit within us. So it's a very, very powerful reality. We're going to dive into start, uh, six, uh, verse 16, and I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Um, I love other different translation, King James Version. This is a chapter that you might want to do some homework and look at other different translations because they have different descriptive words. But this is just a little easier to read, so I want you to really get the picture of what Paul's saying. He says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. So let the Spirit guide your life. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants you to do evil which is just opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what our spiritual nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting. Say constantly fighting. They're always at war with each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Oh, look, Becca and Tim are here. Welcome. Hey. Did you bring the baby? Oh, yes. We have a new, a new member already, so we're growing already. Give him a hand. <laughs> Anyways, totally rabbit trail. I just saw you and got excited. Uh, spirit and flesh, they're opposite of each other. The King James says that we should walk in the spirit. What does that word mean? How do I walk in something I can't even see? The idea here in the Greek is it's this word that describes being occupied or engaged in. And when I think, when you think of somebody who's occupied or engaged in, what comes to mind? Ladies, you're like, when my husband watches football, right? Like, or when a video, when, when a kid or sometimes a grown adult plays a video game, right? They're engulfed in it. They're ingrained in it. They're not listening. They're completely focused on this. Well, God's spirit is what empowers us and enables us to live in a godly way. You see, when we rely on our own wisdom, our own human effort, we become frustrated and discouraged because it doesn't always work. Proverbs says that we need to lean on not our own understanding, but God. We need to acknowledge him in all of our ways, and he will direct our paths. And that's what's challenging with these two forces that are fighting within us. And if you really want to read something amazing, check out Romans 7 and 8 because it's so refreshing and encouraging that Paul actually records this, this battle within himself. It's some amazing passages. We're not going to really go into there. But it's, it's like something that we all deal with, right? Like, why is it so hard to lose weight or get healthy? Like, does everybody agree that's a good idea? But we're going to have cheeseburgers and walking tacos for lunch, right? I'm not sure how healthy a walkie taco is. It's probably not very good. But we have these things that we want to do, but we do the opposite. We want to work out and be healthy and fit, but we end up being lazy. Or we want to stay out of debt. We want to start to save money, but it's so easy to spend money, right? 
or spiritually, like, man, I want to get a closer connection to God. I, I really want to read my Bible. I want to spend time in prayer. But it just seems like these distractions fight us all the time. And so Paul says, hey, the flesh is strong. This tug of war between the spirit and the flesh is real. And our choices are constantly fighting this. Remember the old school cartoon of Tom and Jerry? Yeah. You remember this little scene where uh, Tom's about to do something really evil to Jerry, right? And you had this little angel guy on the one shoulder and the devil side, and he'd always listen to the devil side and do what was wrong, right? Well, it's like this tug of war. Look at how Paul continues on in this chapter. It says, but when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under any obligation to follow the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. So he's saying two paths, good and bad. He says, Um, The results are clear. When you follow the sinful nature, there's sexual immorality, there's impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, there's quarreling and jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, there's dissension and division, envy and drunkenness, wild parties and all other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anybody living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul says, hey, if you're living in this, if you're engaged in this, I think we're all guilty of these sins up there on the board, right? But he's saying, hey, if you don't even acknowledge these things as wrong and you're actively living in it, That's a really bad sign for you. And I think what's different is back in the old school days, I mean, 30, 40 years ago, you would see people do stuff and they would feel like guilt for it. But it seems like in our culture, things are shifting. It's like it's not black and white anymore. It's evil isn't really evil. And wrong isn't really wrong. And I'm I'm ashamed to say even that the color on my wall, you know what the popular color is in your house right now? It's gray or grayish. (laughs) So my wife and I, we painted our house last summer. We're looking at all these different colors. We're like, oh, what, what, we like this one. What's this one called? Oh, worldly gray. So if you're coming over to my house, (sighs) I live in a worldly gray house. It's true. I'm sorry. But this is really where the, where the scripture this is where we, rub, we get rubbed wrong. When we look at these lists, and didn't Jesus do this as well? And that's why it's so important to unpack the Bible and to just go through with it. Because sometimes there's things that, that grind us, that don't feel good. But they're there for our correction. It's like in golf, right? If I make a bad shot and the ball rolls in the sand or in the desert next to the rock, am I allowed to just pick up my ball and move it to a nice grassy spot? No, that's cheating. No, no. I like it, but no, you can't do that. So I can't take this and just grab my Sharpie and just like wipe this out here and say, you know what, I'm just going to take that part out of the scripture. This doesn't feel good because, you know what, culture is beginning to shift these things and saying, you know what, this isn't all that bad. I look at some of this stuff and I think idolatry. Well, many of us don't have golden statues that we pray to and that we worship. 
But idolatry is anything, anything that we put in a higher importance and value to God. Man, I am guilty of this. And I can't say to my friend, hey, dude, your work is just all-consuming. It's like all that you think about. Or your hobbies or this and that. Like, you need to put God as a priority. They'll be like, dude, don't talk to me. My relationship with me and my God, that's my relationship. You're not welcome to talk about that. And they downplay that sin. Or I look at hostility and quarreling, fits of anger and rage. And people say, you know what? I've got to speak my mind. I've got to speak my mind. Or I'm Irish. That's how I am. I'm passionate. Right? I'll go to fists with it. You know, like, no, that's not right. You can't say that that is okay. And then there's sexual immorality. Man, aren't we dealt with this all the time in this culture? Culture dismisses this notion of immorality. There's no such thing as sexual immorality or sin when it comes to consulting adults. If you're adults and you both agree it's like anything goes, sexual preference, sexual orientation, man, culture says we shouldn't judge it or question it. People say, this is my body. It's my choice. Immorality and lustful pleasure, they're often not categorized as sin. In fact, um, if you even question a person or point out the dangers of that lifestyle, you're often considered as intolerant or not accepting or even a bigot. Not only are we told that this behavior is acceptable, we're encouraged to elevate it, to have pride in it, to, to defend people who choose that. And here's the thing. I personally feel that if God made sex, if he created it, if he created us and wired us, then he has the right to say what's right and wrong. Is it okay if we're not silent about this? Because this is what the scripture says. It reminds me of this joke where uh, these scientists, they just, they've done so much. Um, they've done cloning and all these advancements and um, transplanting organs and all these different cellular miracles, basically. And they're like, God, um, here's the thing. We appreciate where you've got us to, but at this point with all these advancements in technology, we really don't need your help or involvement anymore. So you can go ahead and do something else. And God says, oh, okay, you got it figured out? They said, yep, we got it figured out. God says, hey, let's have a little contest then. Why don't you make a person, and I'll make a person. And we'll do it like in the old days back in Adam, using dust and dirt. And the scientist says, okay, let's go ahead and do it. So the scientist bends down, and he grabs some dirt. And God says, whoa, 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 time out. You got to get your own dirt. (laughs) You got to get your own dirt. Who are we to do this? There is intelligent design. The universe displays that there is intelligent design. I love this quote from Carl Sagan. He says, if you wish to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe. (laughs) And isn't that true? Like, guys, if you don't like what the Bible says, if you don't like the rules that God gave us, 
their boundaries to protect us. They're good and healthy and loving and right. And if you don't like that, then make your own planet. But he knows what's best for us. And hasn't he done so much to show his love for us? He has. And so we're guilty of these sins. And there is a war that says, you know what? Man, I, have, I see selfishness in my life. I see greed. I see idolatry in my life sometimes. But if we're not living in it, the Bible says, hey, if, if you're living in that sort of life, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. And I feel like this is, this is such a great principle, and I learned this when I was a teenager because, man, when you're young, you have all this, all this pressure to really engage with the world. And I heard it said that it's better to deal with the pressure of desire than to deal with the consequences of sin. Let me say that again. We're tempted with lust. We're tempted with lying and stealing. It's better to deal with that pressure to resist that urge than to give into it and now reap the consequences of what that sin does. So it's okay to build up the muscle of self-control and say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to lean into the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus, when we accept his promise and his grace and love, Jesus makes life better. And he makes us better at life. Look at what he says in Galatians. He says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. So now, when we say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit, it says that we have fruit in our lives of love. How many people are hungry for love? You search the internet. You give up time and money and resources to find unconditional love. And the flesh distorts it and says, oh, love is lust. It's not. But when we lean into the Spirit, God promises us love. What about joy and peace? Who wants that in their life? Peace. That's the Spirit. That's the fruit that He gives us. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. I look at these attributes, and I'm like, these are good things. Even if you're not a Christian, you want to work for somebody who is kind, who's good, right? You want your kids to marry these types of people. <laughs> you want to be these types of people yourself. These are good attributes. And the best version of you is when you let God into your life. And he produces these types of fruit into your life. Galatians 24 and 26, it says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and the passions and desires. And I look at that word crucified. That is a brutal way to die. And the flesh does not want to give up. The flesh is powerful. If you don't believe me, skip a day of food. <laughs> It'll tell you how it feels about that. Right? We have to crucify the flesh Verse 25, since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading. Say, Spirit's leading. 
in every part of our life. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. And it's interesting that it says, follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. There's sometimes where I wish that word was blueprint. <laughs> and God would just show me all the plans. <laughs> and he'd show me the list of contractors that are going to come, the date they're going to come, the time that they're going to be finished, and everything's all laid out. Is it, is it just me who's like that sometimes? Because this leaning on God's Spirit's a little bit foggy. I don't know how this is going to go, you know? And I want to circle back to the idea of fruit because it's interesting that Paul tries to teach us this spiritual principle in kind of a parable with something that we can actually see and understand. And the word here is fruit. And so he's using a tree, he's using a plant to describe God's spirit and the work that he wants to do in our lives. But how does a tree produce fruit? I knew I was going to get no answers to that because it's a, it's a long answer. We all know it takes the soil and the water and the stuff. And over time, say over time. Do you remember the tree that we just planted? It was some citrus trees that we planted for Pastor Lloyd to honor him. Is anybody upset that there's no oranges on that tree yet? Are you guys mad and wailing out to God? I mean, think about it. I mean, they're planted on a church. That should count for something, right? Like holy ground in honoring of Pastor Lloyd. Shoot, the men who dug those, those trenches to, to plant the tree loved Jesus. I imagine that Joella might even have prayed for that tree, you know? But still, no fruit. No even signs of fruit. They're small. They got little leaves. And isn't that sometimes in us when we look at our walk and we're like, man, God, what's going on? I thought I'd be farther along in my faith than this. Like if you've asked that question, you're not alone. Because spiritual development and growth isn't easy to see. It's not like a bank account where you can just pop up your phone, look at your app, oh, I'm successful, I've got this much money in the bank. Spiritually, it works a lot different. The thing is, is we need to allow God's spirit to lead us, to grow. And as we abide in that, you can't stop the fruit. You can't stop the fruit that's genetically designed to grow in that tree. And that's what God is doing in our lives. Your walk with God is a journey. <laughs> and spiritual growth is hard to measure. And so... Susie and I were talking about this message, and she brought up that there's actually more than one way to water a plant. And so um, we, we've brought over some plants. Give my wife a hand. Yes. Okay, here we go. All right. So here's how I thought about watering and when my mind thinks of watering, I just get the water and I pour it on the dirt, right? But this is good and it works, but you'll notice that as the water is being poured from the top, it like immediately just goes down, right? And sometimes that's how our faith walk is. <laughs> you know, we, we go to church a little bit, beep, we listen to Christian music, Oh, we go to a Christian concert. That's worth some water, right? 
<laughs> we see a post on uh, Instagram about a Bible verse. Okay, beep. Oh, oh, you like it? Beep. <laughs> but that water just goes right through the plant. There's a second method of watering, and that's called bottom watering. Who's heard of that? That's a different technique of watering. It's where you water from the bottom up, and you get water in here, and then this, the roots have a chance to sit in that water, and it absorbs it. See, water is important because water is what allows to, the plant to take the nutrients from the soil and put it in the plant's cells. And I was thinking about the citrus trees that David uh, Bassett planted, and he, he dug this big trench, and I'm like, do we really need that? And he knew what he was doing because I asked the Google. Every time you say the Google, it's more funny than just saying Google. You can try it out. Anyways, it's a really stupid dad joke. Okay, here's what the Google said. Here's what Google said. It says, avoid watering a tree, a citrus tree, um, for just a few minutes every day. Instead, give them heavy watering every one to two weeks, especially in the warm summer months. And so he dug this trench, and you just dump a whole bunch of water so that the roots will evenly disperse. And that water, if I set this here, you'd notice that the water and the moisture is actually being infiltrated into the plant. And that's the picture that Paul uses. It says, we need to walk in the Spirit. We need to lean in the Spirit. We need to be consumed in the Spirit. It's okay to get watered a little bit here, but there's some times where you just really need to let God's spirit and his word sink in. And so what this looks like, instead of just reading through your daily devotions, it's taking time and saying, okay, God, what are you speaking to me in that? And that's what we're going to do as we close. God, what are you speaking to me in this scripture? And the, and the worship team can come up, but... When you bottom water and when you connect to God's spirit, it's shutting down things that distract you. Like I talk to my wife all the time. We're talking on the car. We're talking on the phone. And we're, oh, this bill came up. This party came up. Oh, we got to do this. Got to clean the house. You're doing this. But there's times when in a marriage you just need to shut everything down and you need to go away. And for some of you, God might be nudging you to be like, he's talking about you. He's talking about you because you might be doing all these, these good things and your, your roots are getting moist, but you don't have a chance to really absorb what you need right now. Because when these hot summer months and when pressure comes and when your life is chaotic and when there's tension and grinding, that's the time that you need water most. And so I just want to close in prayer. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you have wired us for greatness, that inside each and every one of us, you choose to flower, to bring beauty, to bring fruit. And as followers of you, we want help in being good and kind and gentle and patient, full of self-control and love and joy and peace. We need those things, Lord. Help us to find time this week to soak up your love. And God, I pray your conviction would wash over us in love. 
that if we struggle with some of those things of living in the flesh, that you would help us to repent, acknowledge that they're wrong, and that you would also help us to guide in ways that we can resist the, the temptation of sin. We thank you that you say in your word that you will give us a way out when temptation comes. So God, I pray for victory over sin in Jesus' name. I pray for holiness in this congregation, holiness in our churches, God. You come and judge us first. We want your revival, God. We want your spirit to come, and we know that we need to be submitted and clean. We need to be those, those pure people that you've called us to be. So we say yes. We say yes, God. Have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name.